When sitting down to edit the recording you're about to hear, I became, and remain, convinced that there is no better piece of cockroach literature. Keeping in mind the criteria involved in such a well-thought assessment as the word better when speaking of literature, I hereby challenge you to come up with the name of a better piece of cockroach literature. I would love to read it on this podcast, and even if it doesn't trump my dear Mr. Gas, I will be here at the very edge of my seat awaiting your suggestions. Good evening. It's Tuesday, the 2nd of August, 2011, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Order of Insects by William Gass We certainly had no complaints about the house after all we had been through in the other place. But we hadn't lived there very long before I began to notice every morning the bodies of a large black bug spotted about the downstairs carpet. Haphazardly, as earthworms must die on the street after a rain, looking when I first saw them like rolls of dark wool or pieces of mud from the children's shoes, or sometimes, if the drapes were pulled, so like ink stains or deep burns they terrified me, for I had been intimidated by that thick rug very early, and the first week had walked over it wishing my bare feet would swallow my shoes. The shells were usually broken. Legs and other parts I couldn't then identify would be scattered near like flakes of rust. Occasionally I would find them on their backs, their quilted undersides showing orange, while beside them were smudges of dark brown powder that had to be vacuumed carefully. We believed our cat had killed them. She was frequently sick during the night then, a rare thing for her, and we could think of no other reason. Overturned like that, they looked pathetic, even dead. I could not imagine where the bugs had come from. I am terribly meticulous myself. The house was clean, the cupboards tight and orderly, and we never saw one alive. The other place had been infested with those flat brown fuzzy roaches, all wires and speed, and we'd seen them all right, frightened by the kitchen light, sifting through the baseboards in the floor's cracks. And in the pantry I had nearly closed my fingers on one before it fled, tossing its shadow across the starch like an image of the startle in my hand. Dead, overturned, their three pairs of legs would be delicately drawn up and folded shyly over their stomachs. When they walked, I suppose their forelegs were thrust out and then bent to draw the body up. I still wonder if they jumped. More than once I've seen our cat hook one of her claws under a shell and toss it in the air, crouching while the insect fell, feigning leap. But there was daylight. The bog was dead. She was not really interested any more, and she would walk immediately away. That image takes the place of jumping. 
even if I actually saw those two back pairs of legs unhinge, as they would have to if one leaped, I think I'd find the result unreal and mechanical, a poor try measured by that sudden, high, head-over-heels flight from our cat's paw. I could look it up, I guess, but it's no study for a woman. Bugs! At first I reacted as I should, bending over, wondering what in the world. Yet even before I recognised them, I'd withdrawn my hand, shuddering. Fierce, ugly, armoured things. They used their shadows to seem large. The machine sucked them up while I looked the other way. I remember the sudden thrill of horror I had, hearing one rattle up the wound. I was relieved that they were dead, of course, for I could never have killed one, and if they had been popped, alive, into the dust-bag of the cleaner, I believe I would have nightmares again, as I did the time my husband fought the red ants in our kitchen. All night I lay awake, thinking of the ants, alive in the belly of the machine, and when, toward morning, I finally slept, I found myself in the dreadful elastic tunnel of the suction tube where ahead of me I heard them, a hundred bodies rustling in the dirt. I never think of their species as alive, but as comprised entirely by the dead ones on our carpet, all the new dead manufactured by the action of some mysterious spoor. Perhaps that dust they sometimes lie in, carried in the air, solidified by night and shaped from body into body, spontaneously, as maggots were before the age of science. I have a single book about insects, a little dated handbook in French, which a good friend gave to me as a joke, because of my garden, the quaintness of the plates, the fun of reading about worms in such an elegant tone, and my bug has his picture there climbing the stem of an orchid. Beneath the picture is his name, Pariplaneta Orientalis L. Ces répugnantes insectes ne sont que trop communes dans les cuisines des vieilles habitations des villes, dans les magasins, entrepôts, boulangeries, brasseries, restaurants, dans la cale de navire, etc. The text begins. Nevertheless, they are a new experience for me, and I think that I am grateful for it now. The picture didn't need to show me that there were two adult and nymph, for by that time I'd seen the bodies of both kinds. Nymph! My God, the names we use! The one was dark, squat, ugly, sly. The other, slimmer, had hard, sheath-like wings drawn over its back like another shell, and you could see delicate interwoven lines spun like fossil gauze across them. The nymph was a rich golden colour deepening in its interstices to mahogany. Both had legs that looked under a glass like the cans of a rose, and the nymphs were sufficiently transparent in a good light you thought you saw its nerves merge and run like a jagged crack to each ultimate claw. Tipped, their legs have fallen shut, and the more I look at them the less I believe my eyes. 
corruption in these bugs is splendid. I've a collection now I keep in my typewriter ribbon tins, and though in time their bodies dry and the interior flesh decays, their features hold, as I suppose they held in life. An Egyptian determination for their protective plates are strong, and death must break bones to get in. Now that the heavy soul is gone, the case is light. I suspect if we were as familiar with our bones as with our skin, we'd never bury dead but shrine them in their rooms, arranged as we might like to find them on a visit. And our enemies, if we could steal their bodies from the battle sites, would be museumed as they died, the steel still eloquent in their sides, the metal hats askew, the protective toes of their shoes unworn, and friend and enemy would be so wondrously historical that in a hundred years we'd find the jaws still hung for the same speech, and all the parts we spent our life with tilted as they always were, ribcage, collar, skull, still repetitious, still defiant, angel light, still worthy of memorial and affection. After all, what does it mean to say that when our cat has bitten through the shell and put confusion in the pulp, the life goes out of them? Alas for us, I want to cry. Our bones are secret, showing last. So we must love what perishes, the mussels and the waters and the fats. Two prongs extend like daggers from the rear. I suppose I'll never know their function. That kind of knowledge doesn't take my interest. At first I had to screw my eyes down, and as I consider it now, the whole change, the recent alteration in my life, was the consequence of finally coming near to something. It was a self-mortifying act, I recall, a penalty I laid upon myself for the evil-tempered words I'd shouted at my children in the middle of the night. I felt instinctively the insects were infectious and their own disease, so when I knelt I held a handkerchief over the lower half of my face, saw only horror, turned sick, masking my eyes. Yet the worst of angers held me through the day, vague, searching, guilty, and ashamed. After that I came near often, saw for the first time the gold nymph's difference, put between the mandibles a tinted nail I'd let grow long, observed the movement of the jaws, the stalks of the antennae, the skull-shaped skull, the lines banding the abdomen, and found an intensity in the posture of the shell, even when tipped, like that in the gaze of Gauguin's native's eyes. The dark plates glisten. They are wonderfully shaped. Even the buttons of the compound eyes show a geometrical precision which prevents my earlier horror. It isn't possible to feel disgust towards such an order. Nevertheless, I reminded myself. A roach. And you, a woman. I no longer own my own imagination. I suppose they came up the drains or out of the registers. It may have been the rug they wanted. 
Crickets, too, I understand, will feed on wool. I used to rest by my husband, stiffly, waiting for silence to settle in the house, his sleep to come, and then the drama of their passage would take hold of me, possess me so completely that when I finally slept I merely passed from one dream to another without the slightest loss of vividness or continuity. Never alive, they came with punctures, their bodies formed from little whorls of copperish dust, which in the downstairs darkness I couldn't possibly have seen, and they were dead and upside down when they materialised, for it was in that moment that our cat, herself darkly invisible, leaped and brought her paws together on the true soul of the roach, a soul so static and intense, so immortally arranged, I felt, while I lay shell-like in our bed, turned inside out, driving my mind away. It was the same as the dark soul of the world itself. And it was this beautiful and terrifying feeling that took possession of me finally, stiffened me like a rod beside my husband, played Caesar to my dreams. The weather drove them up, I think, moisture in the tubes of the house. The first I came on looked put together in Japan, broken, one leg bent under like a metal cinch, unwound. It rang inside the hollow of the wand like metal, too, brightly like a stream of pins. The clatter made me shiver. Well, I always see what I fear. Anything my eyes have is transformed into a threatening object. Mud, or stains, or burns, or if not these, then toys in unmendable metal pieces. Not fears to be afraid of. The ordinary fears of daily life. Healthy fears. Womanly, wifely, motherly ones. The children may point at the wretch with the hunch and speak in a voice he will hear. The cat has fleas again. They will get in the sofa. One's face looks smeared. It's because of the heat. Is the burner on under the beans? The washing machine's obscure disease may reoccur. It rumbles on rinse and rattles on wash. My God, it's already eleven o'clock. Which of you has lost a galosh? So... It was amid the worries of our ordinary life I bent, innocent and improperly armed, over the bug that had come undone. Let me think back on the shock. My hand would have fled from a burn with the same speed. Anyone's death or injury would have weakened me as well, and I could have gone cold for a number of reasons because I felt in motion in me, my own murderous disease, for instance, but none could have produced the revulsion that dim recognition did, a reaction of my whole nature that flew ahead of understanding and made me withdraw like a spider. I said I was innocent. Well, I was not innocent. My God, the names we use. What do we live with that's alive we haven't tamed? People like me, even our houseplants breathe by our permission. All along I had the fear of what it was, 
something ugly and poisonous, deadly and terrible. The simple insect, worse and wilder than fire, and I should rather put my arms in the heart of a flame than in the darkness of a moist and webby hole. But the eye never ceases to change. When I examine my collection now, it isn't any longer roaches I observe, but gracious order, wholeness and divinity. My handkerchief that time was useless. Oh, my husband, they are a terrible disease. The dark soul of the world, a phrase I should laugh at. The roach shell sickened me, and my jaw has broken open. I lie still, listening, but there is nothing to hear. Our cat is quiet. They pass through life to immortality between her paws. Am I grateful now my terror has another object? From time to time I think so, but I feel as though I'd been entrusted with a kind of eastern mystery, sacred to a dreadful god, and I am full of the sense of my unworthiness and the clay of my vessel. So strange. It is the sewing machine that has the fearful claw. I live in a scatter of blocks and children's voices. The chores are my clock, and time is every other moment interrupted. I had always thought that love knew nothing of order, and that life itself was turmoil and confusion. Let us leap, let us shout. I have leaped, and to my shame, I have wrestled. But this bug that I hold in my hand and know to be dead is beautiful, and there is a fierce joy in its composition that beggars every other, for its joy is the joy of stone. And it lives in its tomb, like a lion. I don't know which is more surprising, to find such order in a roach, or such ideas in a woman. I could not shake my point of view, infected as it was, and I took up their study with a manly passion. I sought out spiders and gave them sanctuary. Played host to worms of every kind, was generous to catydids and lacewings, aphids, ants, and various grubs, pampered several sorts of beetle, looked after crickets, sheltered bees, aimed my husband's chemicals away from the grasshoppers, mosquitoes, moths, and flies. I have devoted hours to watching caterpillars feed. You can see the leaves they've eaten passing through them, their bodies thin and swell until the useless pulp is squeezed in perfect rounds from their rectal end. For caterpillars are a simple section of intestine, a decorated stalk of yearning muscle, and their whole being is enlisted in the effort of digestion. Le tube digestif des insectes est situé dans le grand axe de la cavité générale du corps. De la bouche vers l'anus, le pharynx, l'esophage, le jabot, le ventricule chilifique, le rectum 
et lilléon. Yet when they crawl, their curves conform to graceful laws. My children ought to be delighted with me as my husband is. I am so diligent, it seems, on their behalf. But they have taken fright, and do not care to pry or to collect. My hobby's given me a pair of dreadful eyes, and sometimes I fancy they start from my head. Yet I see perhaps no differently than Galileo saw when he found in the pendulum its fixed intent. None the less my body resists such knowledge. It wearies of its edge. And I cannot forget, even while I watch our moon-vine blossoms open, the simple principle of the bug. It is a squat black cockroach after all. Such a bug as frightens housewives, and it's only come to chew on rented wool and find its death absurdly in the teeth of the renter's cat. Strange. Absurd. I am the wife of the house. This point of view I tremble in is the point of view of a god, and I feel certain somehow that could I give myself entirely to it, were I not continuing a woman, I could disarm my life, find peace and order everywhere, and I lie by my husband, and I touch his arm and consider the temptation. But I am a woman. I am not worthy. Then I want to cry, Oh, husband, husband, I am ill, for I have seen what I have seen. What should he do at that, poor man, starting up in the night from his sleep to such nonsense, but comfort me blindly and murmur, Dream, small snail, only dream, bad dream, as I do to the children. I could go away like the wise cicada who abandons its shell to move on to other mischief. I could leave and let my bones play cards and spank the children. Peace. How can I think of such ludicrous things? Beauty and peace, the dark soul of the world. For I am the wife of the house, concerned for the rug, tidy and punctual. Surrounded by blocks.